BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Thursday's blockbuster, Virginia Thomas urged White House chief to pursue unrelenting efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Texts show the byline of Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, the same duo that provided us peril, the New York Times bestseller. This is Robert Costa. Hey, Bob, thank you so much for coming back to the program. You are, of course, now the chief election and campaign correspondent for CBS News. I didn't realize when you took the CBS job that you would continue to break stories at The Washington Post as well. Uh, Great to be back on your program, Michael, my favorite program on radio. So I am full time at CBS News, but because I've had such a great relationship with the post in the past uh, and just left for a new challenge. I, I wanted to keep the door open to still doing investigations that are collaborative. And so this is kind of interesting, a joint reporting enterprise on special projects from time to time with the CBS News and the Washington Post publishing simultaneously. I, it worked well this time around and hope, I'm hopeful about the future. So was this the first that, that you've been able to sort of put that new uh, format in place where you're doing something both for the Post and for CBS News? That's right. I mean, y- you know, as a journalist that sometimes stories can be just for print. Sometimes they can be uh, for, for television and broadcast and streaming. And for the last six weeks, seven weeks since I started at CBS News, I've been working on visual reporting, some dot-com reporting uh, from here to there on spot news and in some smaller scoops. But I thought, when I was doing this story and Woodward and I decided to do it together, it really worked as a longer print story as well as a television story. And so I just think in 2022, we all got to be imaginative about how we connect with people and connect people to reporting. Bob, the story is an amazing story on so many different levels. But one of the reactions that I had was how long have these texts been in the possession of the January 6th committee or commission? And did they know what they had on their hands? How come it hasn't come to light sooner? Well, it takes a lot of time. I mean, Mark Meadows is the former White House chief of staff, and he provided these documents to the committee last year. And the committee, based on our reporting, thought to themselves, wow. And we've spoken to some members who thought this was going to be a goldmine. And then Meadows suddenly stopped to cooperate. And it's taken the committee months uh, working with numerous members of Congress, technical staffs, outside advisors to understand what's in these messages, because Meadows didn't provide this crystal clear roadmap to every single text message he provided. It's not like this stuff comes over in, in, in normal text message format. 
a lot of it's what's called like call data format. And you have to figure out through different means what, what the content is to confirm the numbers. So it's a process. Um, the committee is really trying to piece together this, this sprawling investigation across many fronts. And now it appears that Ginny Thomas at least played a role in helping encourage Trump's uh, attempt to overturn the election. The great unknown, of course, is whether Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas, was aware of his wife texting back and forth with Mark Meadows. That's true. And, and Michael, I'm actually kind of curious, since you're the attorney in this conversation, you know, what do you make of any exposure, if any, constitutionally, legally, Clarence Thomas would have if his wife is texting the chief of staff inside the executive branch? Of course, she has First Amendment rights. She's never hid hidden her political activity. But at the time, it just seems to be a murky legal as well as a politically charged question to have a spouse of a justice who might hear election cases communicating with the White House chief of staff about how to pursue that election strategy. Okay, so here's my here's my answer to your question. I think that there's a before Robert Costa and Bob Woodward and there's an after, meaning clearly from this point forward, I don't think Clarence Thomas should be weighing in on anything pertaining to January 6th or Donald Trump, should he run again, or if there should be something pertaining, although I doubt it, to the 2020 election that circles back to the court. Whether he should have recused himself previously, it's kind of interesting, Bob. I had a, uh, on CNN on Saturday, I had a former federal judge from Massachusetts. Her name is Judge Gertner, Nancy Gertner. And we were talking about exactly this issue. And she said something with which I disagree. She said, well, Clarence Thomas knew or should have known of his wife's interaction with Mark Meadows. That's not the way it is in my house. So I don't, you know, I, I, I can't buy into the Clarence Thomas should have known that Ginny, who knows what Ginny was telling him. It all depends on what Clarence Thomas knew. If he knew of these texts, he never should have weighed in. Right. And that's the question of should and if, right? Should's a, a point of debate. Should he have known? Uh, and you can, you can see that in different, in different ways. But if he knew, we just don't know if he knew about the text messages. The thing I, as a reporter, I just want clarity on, uh, not as a partisan, not as any, just a reporter, is there's a text message with Meadows where she references her, a quote, best friend who yep. seemed to be maybe sitting near her when she's having these text messages with Mark Meadows. You know, was that best friend Justice Thomas? And was he in any way kind of guiding her or being informed about the Trump legal strategy? Uh, through his wife. And it just I, I, the problem is there's uh, in the eyes of some Democrats and Republicans is that there's no code of ethics for the Supreme Court. There are some guidelines in law, but it's just it's not like there's a, a rule book per se. Yeah. Uh, Thomas replies, thank you, exclamation, exclamation, needed that. Um, and then it is. Oh, actually, I want to back up because this is, to me, the most intriguing exchange of all. It's Meadows to Thomas. November 24, the White House chief of staff invokes God to describe the effort to overturn the election. Quote, this is a fight of good versus evil. Meadows wrote, evil always looks like the victor until the king of kings triumphs. Do not grow weary in well-doing. The fight continues. I've staked my career on it. Well, at least my time in Washington. Let me just stop and freeze frame there. I'm not the only one, Bob Costa, who thinks that's pretty significant. David French has a piece right now at The Atlantic saying the most 
stunning of all of these texts that you've uncovered is that one by Meadows. There, that's some end of times kind of stuff. Don't you agree? It is. And as David French uh, writes in his story, that that kind of uh, rhetoric and language is quite common uh, on the American right at times. It's, you know, very Christian in nature. I'm a Roman Catholic myself. I love my faith. But that kind of this is good versus evil and applying that to a political context is at the least a very stark framing for what is at the time on the surface, uh, an an election challenge that's playing out in the courts. There's a kind of an apocalyptic streak that appears to run through some of what Mark Meadows is texting to Ginny Thomas. And it brings, it raises questions about what was kind of the motivation and discussion behind the scenes uh, about this Trump legal challenge. I mean, they're, they're pushing to block Biden certification, whether it's through the courts or eventually through this scheme of alternate electors. Well, why was that? Uh, and, you know, what if faith was a motivating factor, uh, I think we all would like to learn more about that. So it's in response to that, that Ginny Thomas then says, thank you, exclamation, exclamation, needed that. This plus a conversation with my best friend just now. I will try to keep holding on. America is worth it. And Robert Costa, you, of course, know that many have uncovered different exchanges where the Thomases regard one another as best friends, although that's not so unique, you know, in a relationship, much less a marriage. No, it's not unique at all. And again, I, we've reached out to Justice Thomas and, and Ms. Thomas many times for clarity. Uh, we've tried um, many times. And I, I, I just they have not made any comment about this in recent days. And it's notable that the uh, January 6th committee has not made any comment. This is, a, this is not a path they believe they would go down uh, based on my conversations with closest sources close to the committee. But like any investigation, sometimes... You find things and things take a turn. It's not always exactly how you would like it to go to plan. This is the Smirconish Podcast from SiriusXM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Is it fair to say, Bob Costa, he was, he, Clarence Thomas, was the sole Supreme Court vote supporting the view that this information didn't need to be handed over to the January 6th investigators, meaning the Meadows texts? Well, that's that final two words you said, those matter a lot. Was Thomas aware that the Meadows texts were part of the records? Uh, or, or were involved with the records. The scope of how Thomas perceived the records he was ruling on really matters uh, because we now know his wife was engaging with the White House extensively. Uh, what Was he aware that she could be part of those records? We just, again, do not know about what, I can't read Justice Thomas's mind, neither can anyone else. It is notable on a legal level that Thomas ruled that election challenges should be heard from Pennsylvania. This is back in 2021. And then in 2022, he ruled as he was a dissent on uh, the case about the Trump records. So he's out of step with his fellow justices on two key Trump related cases within the past two years. Uh, that doesn't don't re- I don't read into that anything, just noting the fact that he was a, a, a lone vote on both of those uh, cases. I totally respect that, but I'm just trying to understand and, and, and make sure I'm correct in what I'm saying, that the effect of that vote in the second instance on the Trump records, I'll say it this way. If the Supreme Court had agreed with Clarence Thomas, these texts would not have reached the January 6 investigators. Is that fair to say? No, no, that's not exactly right. So Meadows okay, tell me. provide. OK, so just in the most simplest terms, because it's confusing for me sometimes, too, believe me, is. In the fall and winter of 2021, last year, Mark Meadows and his lawyers decided to provide about 4,000 documents, including about 2,300 text messages, to the January 6th committee that was given over voluntarily by Mark Meadows. Those text messages and documents from Meadows given to the committee before he ceased cooperation have become somewhat of a spine for the investigation Uh, in recent months based on our reporting. On another track, official Trump White House documents, which could include some Meadows texts, which I don't want to rule out, but the official White House documents in the National Archives, that was went to the Supreme Court. Trump wanted to block the National Archives from giving over his official records, schedules, other papers to the committee. Thomas was the dissent saying Trump shouldn't have to do that. He had executive privilege. Uh, citing the Watergate case from years ago, the Supreme Court ruled those documents should be given over to the committee. It was an unsigned order. If that's clear enough, that's we could go on for a long time. On no, this, it's that's perfect. As, best as I, I know I, it. That's really important clarification. OK, so we're talking here in your reporting about 21 texts sent by Ginny Thomas, eight sent by Mark Meadows. Uh, do we have any idea how many more might exist between the two of them? Um, 
not a number, but it would be odd on a logical level to think this flurry of text messages were sent in November of 2020. Then there are no text messages in this trove of documents from December 2020 or around January 6th, even though Ginny Thomas was clearly involved through that period. She attended the Stop the Steal rally on January 6th near the White House. So we just don't have we have an incomplete picture. The Meadows texts have provided some of the picture, but it's incomplete. Uh, I just my my gut tells me there have to be potentially many more text messages from December and January. I don't like to guess, but you see what they did in November. But this is part of Meadows ceasing cooperation with the committee. That's why the picture is incomplete. In your reporting, it says this. Ginny Thomas, in that interview, also acknowledged that she had attended Trump's Stop the Steal rally at the Ellipse near the White House on January 6th, but said she left early because it was too cold and that she did not have any role in planning the event. This was a Washington Free Beacon interview that you're referring to. Is there any more reporting coming on her on the 6th at that event? Well, there's a lot of reporting to be done because, for example, she's part of this outside conservative group called Groundswell. She is uh, close friends with a woman named Connie Hare, who's mentioned in the text messages, who's currently chief of staff to Louis Gohmert, who is heavily involved in the post-election January 6th period. He was one of the people who spearheaded a lawsuit against Vice President Pence in Texas to try to stop Pence from certifying the election. So she's part of this orbit of people on the right who are doing things, taking actions, taking steps to block Biden's certification. We just don't know the extent she was involved beyond these text messages, which end in November of 2020. But it's, it's evident she was still busy in December and January. And we also see that she sent a text message. One of the stray ones that came through in the Meadows documents is this stray text message she sent in, in late January, mid-January, January 10th, where she says... Um, Pence discuss her because he didn't go through with Trump's plan. Is there any evidence of any impropriety on Meadows' part as it pertains to Ginny Thomas, that she asked him to do something and he actually did it? Because what I see from a distance is a White House chief of staff humoring, being courteous to a VIP, meaning a VIP in the eyes of a Republican administration. Hey, it's Clarence Thomas's wife. Of course, I'm going to respond to her and, you know, cheer her on in her sentiments. It's it's a fair point. I think your assessment's a fair one. He, he seems to I wouldn't use the word humoring, but he's definitely engaging her. Uh, right. he, he seems to be almost irritated by her at times when she's recommending Sidney Powell. But it's that Sidney Powell point that's most notable to me beyond the King of Kings Christian comment uh, about God that Meadows made. Because at some level, Meadows is discussing Trump's legal strategy with Jenny Thomas. Again, she's a private citizen, and I'm not saying that's that's wrong. I don't know legally what the challenge is there for Justice Thomas, but it's clear he's taking some kind of guidance from her on Sidney Powell, because at one point she uses the phrase, and this is not on Meadows, it's Thomas. She says, make Sidney Powell, this controversial lawyer who was claiming election machines were rigged from foreign countries to, to steal the election from Trump. We don't need to get into all the details. She's saying to Meadows, make Sidney Powell the quote lead in the face of the legal strategy. A final point for Robert Costa. Bob, thanks again for being so gracious with your time. Where does this go now? I guess what I'm really asking is, there's no way she's just going to walk in the door, I think, without a subpoena. Do you think that the January 6th investigators would subpoena the wife of Clarence Thomas? 
it's politically charged, constitutionally charged. It, it, it is a hot potato. Uh, talking to people close to the committee, they're not really sure what they're going to do. Um, they're going to meet on Monday night in Washington tonight, 7.30 p.m., uh, to figure out next steps on criminal contempt charges for Peter Navarro and uh, Dan Scavino, two Trump advisors. But they're also privately going to discuss what to do with Ginny Thomas. It seems to me, based on my reporting, and CNN has this out there too, that Ginny Thomas may be asked to voluntarily appear. Uh, her friends tell me she's not the kind of person to voluntarily appear before a committee. She disdains. So we'll right. have to see if she declines that. And then if the committee really wants to issue a subpoena, but some committee members think this is a bit of a distraction from their focus on Trump. But again, as I say, investigations take turns. History will watch how this all plays out. It reminds me in a bit of Watergate. Woodward and I have discussed this about how you just don't know sometimes what the surprises in an investigation are going to be. And you still wonder with this this one, who's going to be the John Dean, if anyone? Who's going to actually participate in a way that really divulges new information? Do you think that this summer, I promise this will be my final inquiry. Do you think this summer we are headed for Watergate-like hearings? No, I don't think so. The committee's whole approach has been much more about private depositions, interviews that go on for hours off camera, uh, on Zoom at times, in person, with witnesses. They find that's, a, in their view, a better way to get cooperation, to have more casual interviews that aren't under the Klieg lights. But that's a strategic choice. There are some people on the committee who have privately said to me they should be having more public hearings, not be doing all these things behind the, the, the door. Because at the end of the day, they have to convince the American public that this matters. And uh, a report in scattered hearings may, might not do that. Yeah, but a, a report alone, I don't think, is going gonna, is gonna to move the needle. They, they need somebody. They need somebody on TV making a point. Otherwise, it'll matter to those that it already matters to, and it won't reach the people who are not yet paying attention. That's that's my gut. Uh, Robert Costa, excellent job. I wish you all good things at CBS News. Good for CBS News to have landed you. I wish you had gone to CNN, but I totally get it. Like You're going to own that turf at CBS, and you deserve it. So thank you. Thank you, Michael. You're the best. Talk soon. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Listen. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. 
Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. To Michael Live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Bob Costa and Bob Woodward. How's that for a a byline? If they're on it, you know it's some serious stuff. So, so true. Hey, I have some audio for you from your CNN program, speaking of CNN, on Saturday, where you had um, Nancy Gertner, Judge Justice Gertner, on the program. Retired. She's no longer on the federal bench. But just to put it in perspective, she had been on the District Court of Massachusetts, and she had been a, I think she'd been like a Kennedy- Kerry sponsored nominee to the federal bench and now is at Harvard, very accomplished. And I wanted, what did you queue up, TC? So you had originally asked her about whether uh, Justice Thomas should recuse himself. Right. She's going to answer that, but in answering that, she goes into the should he have known area, which is what you just talked to Bob Costa about. You want to take a listen? I definitely do. And I want to, I want to, you know, Sometimes it's it's hard. There's a lot going on when I'm conducting the interview on live television. I'm glad you're playing this because I think what she said is that Clarence Thomas and and by the way, all of us married or in a relationship, I think we'll have a take on this. Would would the would the partner necessarily know if the other had been communicating in this fashion, and I think what she's about to say, TC, is that Clarence Thomas knew or should have known that Ginny Thomas was texting Mark Meadows. That didn't that didn't uh, make sense to me. I, I, I don't think that Clarence Thomas would necessarily have known that. But let's listen to what she said. And then whether or not he should recuse himself going forward with any case involving uh, the election of 2020 or the January 6th investigation. Should he have recused himself in the past? Uh, I think he clearly should have recused himself about the, the case involving the subpoenas, the January 6th committee subpoena of uh, Meadows' records, uh, because he he either knew that included in that box of uh, materials that they were subpoenaing were texts that would implicate his wife, um, or he should have known. Uh, the, there's a wonderful, you know, so this is not a don't ask, don't tell situation. Uh, uh, if you should have known or you believe, reasonably believe that in that box of materials being subpoenaed included texts that could implicate your wife, uh, then you should have recused yourself. Uh, the, the law that, that binds even the Supreme Court, although it's largely unenforceable, talks about situations in which your impartiality could reasonably be questioned. Okay, can I interrupt this, TC? But why should, this is me in real time now, why should Clarence Thomas have arguably known that Ginny Thomas' texts were in there unless Ginny Thomas told him? Why why are we assuming, why is the judge assuming that Ginny Thomas would have told that to Clarence Thomas? I don't think that that's such a, a clear uh statement to be made do okay you? Uh, no not necessarily not the actual text 
uh, back up a little bit. Do you think Clarence Thomas knew how Ginny Thomas felt about all of this? For sure. For sure. Okay. For sure. So There's we agree on that. My mind okay, on that. fine. Okay. So yeah. I agree with that. I thought when you were saying that, you were like, oh, he, why, why would he have any idea how he felt? No. no. You're saying specifically, yes. did Justice Thomas know that Ginny Thomas was texting with Mark Meadows? I think the answer to that is we cannot know that. We cannot know we that. We cannot and, know and that. And so this is. And the, there is a chance that he did okay. not know that. So this is what I thought the judge had said. She definitely I, said it. I think I pushed back on it a little bit. We're but about I, to find out. Okay, let's find out. <laughs> and no one is saying that she doesn't have a right to her own activism. I'm certainly the last person uh, who would say that. The issue is in these cases, her documents, her words, her texts will be in the box of materials that the court is trying to, uh, that, that, that the January 6th committee rather is trying to get. Should he recuse himself going forward now that all this stuff has come out? I don't think there's any question that he should. I agree on that. Uh, the question is so, the scope of that. So I, I agree with the way that you frame this, although I don't know about your articulation that he knew or should have known. Why, why should he necessarily have known that his wife was communicating through these channels with Mark Meadows? Well, during in other parts of the recusal statute, it talks about you know, you, you have an obligation, for example, to find out whether your wife is involved financially in your cases. Uh, this, it seems to me, is an analogous situation. Uh, if he knows, as was clear, she was a public activist, um, uh, that she's involved in these activities, and there is at least a substantial chance that her activities hmm. would be, you know, concluded in the materials that are being uh, uh, ta- turned over to the committee, then it then then it seems to me you have an obligation to inquire further. You have an obligation to to find out what's going on. It really uh, it would be one thing if she was involved, you know, in uh, activities in Ukraine, for example, and he had no idea. But that's really not what's going on here. Let me add: it's not only that her talks to Meadows and her urging overturning of the election uh, is it involved here. But also the texts talk about the legal strategy to overturn the election, a legal strategy which necessarily involved going to the Supreme Court. So the judge, can I can I just underscore something? Okay, can can I I just can I interrupt now back in real time here on POTUS? It is Monday. It is the second hour of the program. I'm so glad that I asked the follow up question because so many times I'm listening to the tape or I'm watching a tape and I'm like, damn it, Michael, why didn't you say this? So what I'm hearing Judge Gertner now say, now that it, now in, in like the calm of a couple of days later, she, what I hear her saying essentially is that Clarence Thomas had, I think she's saying, somewhat of a duty, knowing of his wife's predisposition to be affirmative and say, hey, Ginny, like at dinner, hey, Ginny, um, you know, there's this, maybe not to tell tell her in specificity about the issue, but... Have you communicated in any way with anybody at the White House in a way that now might come to light if I have to get involved in in this disclosure business? I still can't I still can't buy into it. Here's the question. We don't have to we don't have to get into the judicial conduct. We don't have to get into the judicial canon of ethics. I'm just going to ask the POTUS audience a gut question. Do you think that Clarence Thomas given the nature of relationships and what we know about these two regarding one another as best friends and and 
in the text, Ginny Thomas telling Mark Meadows, ooh, you know, thank you. I just read it aloud. I'm not going to do it again. But, you know, thank you, Mark Meadows. I just had a conversation with my best friend, and you've really bucked up my spirits. Do you think that Clarence Thomas knew that his wife had communicated with Mark Meadows, and therefore when he was ruling, he was ruling on something that might touch his wife's communications? It's, it's not clear to me that he, that he knew his wife's interest generally in all of this. I think there's no doubt that Clarence Thomas was, was aware of it. I, I have to believe that Clarence knew Ginny Thomas was going to, to the January 6th event. But this is a different and more narrow issue. And I don't think you can say that Clarence Thomas, this is my view, I don't think you can say that Clarence Thomas should absolutely have recused himself from that ruling because we just don't know. We just don't know what he was aware of. That he should recuse himself going forward? No brainer to me. No brainer. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.